Amen, amen. Well, good evening, Salt Company. It's good to be with you guys tonight. Would you guys go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4, find verses 6 through 9. That's where we're going to be at tonight. And as you turn there, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to get to teach the Word of God tonight. My name is Dalton. I'm a worship leader here at Veritas Church. I studied business at the University of Iowa, like some of you do now. Got a couple there. Yep. And uh, I got married about a year ago to a girl named Alexis, and that was... It was awesome. It was so fun. We like uh, taking pictures together, spending time with our cat, having bonfires outside, and really anything that lets us be within like arm's reach of each other. You know, people ask, people ask married people like, what do you guys like doing? All married people like doing the same thing, just being close to each other. That's the essence of, of marriage, and it's just great to be next to someone, literally and figuratively. That's the essence of relationships, and there is a peace and a contentment that comes from such a proximity. And so, with that, let's look at these verses from Paul written to the Philippians. Starting in verse 6, he says this, Do not be anxious about anything. Nice. Anxious people, do you feel better? <laughs> Ethan, we throw, we throw up that first. Uh, you guys feel, do you feel like this guy? I saw this online. I, oh, I thought that was so funny, so perfect. Okay, point number one tonight. If you are talking to an anxious person, don't say, oh, just don't be anxious, or the Bible commands you not to be anxious. I'm just kidding. That, that's, that's not the first point. If you have ever had someone do that to you, you know how difficult it is. Ethan, you can take the picture down, by the way. You know how difficult it is to just simply put aside anxiety, and so, I know you guys can relate with this, but I just want to start off with this question. What exactly is anxiety? Like, what is it? And I know some of you are thinking, like, okay, obviously you don't know what anxiety is if you're, if you're asking. Obviously, you've never, um, you've never experienced it. And think about it, though. Try and define anxiety in a singular sentence. Like, such a massive problem that takes on so many different shapes and forms in people's lives. It is so difficult to provide one simple, neat, clean, and clear definition of anxiety. And maybe mine doesn't look exactly like yours, but trust me, I know all about anxiety. When I was in elementary school, there was this girl. Her name was Alicia, and she had a crush on me. But I did not feel the same, and I felt so bad about it. Just terrible. This girl thought I was cute, but I didn't really feel the same. Um, unfortunately, Ethan, you can throw up the second picture. I think I kind of was like kind of a cute kid in kindergarten, but also incredibly anxious. Look at the fear in my eyes. This was me on my first day of kindergarten. I'm biting my fingernails. What five-year-old bites his fingernails? I was so nervous. So, well, and this, that, that, this is another side note. No one tells you the logistics of kindergarten. Like, where am I supposed to go when I get off the bus? What am I supposed to do? What time am I supposed to go there? How am I supposed to know when to be anywhere? So this must have been before um, kindergarten roundup. And so I get off the bus, and I'm freaking out. I'm panicking, and I just find the first adult I can see. And I look at him, and I go, have you seen Miss Arnold? And... They took a picture of me and put it on the newspaper, on the front page. 
And I don't think he helped me find Miss Arnold, unfortunately. But he, so they put me on the front page of the newspaper. Alicia starts crushing on me. And <laughs> we're, we're back to Alicia. So anyway, she moves. She, Alicia moves. And she gets to pick who she sits by on the last day, on her last day. And who does she pick? Now I got to talk to her at lunch the whole time. I got to laugh at her jokes. I got to be nice. And for a little five-year-old me, I'm just like, I'm, I just want to eat my Lunchables in peace. And it made me so anxious. I'm serious. I still remember crossing my fingers that she wouldn't pick me. She did. And I talked to my mom about it the whole entire way home. And she put me in therapy, like like five-year-old therapy. I, I went to a child psychologist because I got so anxious about school. I got so anxious about friendships, tests, assignments, getting to school on, my time, on time, my parents picking me up. So from a very young age, and still up until now, I know all about anxiety. I've been down the rabbit holes online. I've gone to see doctors. I've seen psychologists seen every hour lying awake in the evening just hoping that I can fall asleep but your heart is just pounding so hard. I know all about anxiety. It's been a massive part of my, of, of my life and so I just want to say to those of you in the room who do struggle with anxiety, take heart. I promise you there is hope. There absolutely is hope. So let's get back into the word. Let's look back at verse 6. It does give us a command. It gives us a command not to be anxious. Great. But what if you are? What are we actually supposed to do about anxiety? Tonight, if you're anxious, tomorrow, in 20 years, how do you work your way through it? Well, let's start off with this. Why Paul so plainly tells the Philippians not to be anxious? And this is why. In order to not be anxious... We need to understand why we don't need to be anxious. Because like we said, just about the worst thing that you can do is just tell someone who's struggling with anxiety, hey, the Bible commands you not to be anxious. That's, that's no help at all. Just simply telling someone not to be anxious doesn't help. Here's what does help. Providing reasons not to be anxious. And so let's look at a few places in the Bible that give Paul such a confidence to just so plainly say, hey, don't be anxious. So let's start in the book of Genesis. Many of you guys are familiar with the story of Joseph. His brothers sell him into slavery. He gets put in jail, and then he becomes the second in command in the kingdom. But did you guys know this? After all that was said and done, Joseph tells his brothers who sold him into slavery and seemingly just ruined his life. He says, as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This verse so clearly displays God's control over terrible events in our lives. Picture yourself in Joseph's position. And maybe it's not that difficult for you to right now. Maybe you're actually experiencing incredible tragedy. Joseph had years of difficulty and struggle, but God was over it all. He allowed this event to happen so that a greater good would come about, not only for others, but for Joseph as well. This verse is not only a guarantee that bad things won't happen, 
but it reminds us that whatever happens, God is working it for good. Not only his, but ours as well. And we can absolutely rest in that. And so maybe some of you are thinking, okay, yes, like I find it very easy to trust God with things that I very clearly don't have control over. Like I'm not anxious about stuff that I can't control. I'm anxious about stuff that I seemingly can control, like getting a job, passing college, paying off student loan debt, what other people think about me, finding a spouse, things like that. So what does the Bible have to say about being anxious over stuff that we seemingly have a part in? So let's look at Proverbs 16.9. It says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In Proverbs 19.21, it says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And so look, guys, you can do or not do anything you want. Devise all the plans that you want in your life, but guess whose plan ultimately takes place? It's God's, not yours. And this obviously doesn't mean that we should just go about life passively and and useless and and not really try or work at anything. Psalm 127.1, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You see, we're called to work, to strive, to plan, to prepare, and to move. But ultimately, we are not the decisive factor in the outcome of of our lives. It's God who is. And to those of you who are anxious, just sit in that for a minute. You are not in decisive control of your life. God reigns over this universe. Every day, bad things happen to really good people, and really great things happen to terrible people. But we can rest assured knowing that God will make of our lives whatever he will make of it. The Lord is in heaven, and he does all that he pleases. So how about this for a response to anxiety? If I perish, I perish. Knowing from Romans 8 that God works all things together for good, we can truly say with Esther, if I perish, I perish. Now we've looked at a fair amount of scripture so far, and we've only read like four words of the passage that we're supposed to be looking at tonight. But let me just say this before we continue. It is important, it is imperative actually, to establish a biblical case against anxiety. We worship a God who controls all things in the world. So it's important that we're all on the same page about how Paul can just so simply say, don't be anxious, but in all things present your request to God. Because at the core of this statement is a belief that we hold true as Christians, and it's that God reigns and rules over all things, and so often we forget that. Not only that he's in control, but he is actively working in this world. God is not there just to protect Christians from doing dumb things. He actually has a specific purpose for your life that results in your good and his glory. And yet so many of us still struggle with a break or a weakness in our faith. So if we know that God is good, we see it in scripture, why are we still anxious? So let's ask ourselves 
let's ask ourselves a couple questions to kind of diagnose or to at least try and diagnose where anxiety is coming from. Okay, the first one is this. Perhaps you are anxious because you've misplaced your worship. Perhaps you're anxious because you have misplaced your worship. Uh, I had this friend in college, and he did the whole party scene, and then he became a Christian. And he left his old ways of his life behind him, partying, sleeping around. But unfortunately, there was one part of his life that he was not able to leave behind him when he became a Christian because he had contracted a disease. Do you think that guy was anxious? Do you think his worries were legitimate? Absolutely, and it's one of the most dark places I've ever seen anyone be. I feel so privileged though that I got to walk through this season with him and learn with him. Because you know what he was anxious about? Will my future spouse ever love me because of the decisions that I made before I was a Christian? Will I even find someone who will be able to forgive me for the things I did in the past? Will this mistake affect the rest of my life? He was obsessed with these questions day and night. He was so anxious. And we spent so much time talking and so much time praying about it. And he would tell you this now too. Where the real healing came for him was not when he got married and realized that his wife could forgive him. It wasn't there, though that was wonderful. Where the real, the true healing came was when he realized that the, the reason that he was so anxious is because he was worshiping marriage. He was worshiping sex. He was worshiping love, not God. His hope for future satisfaction, for future joy, was in these things that were not God. And he found that as he began to take his eyes away from his idols and toward the Lord and put his hope in the forgiveness-saturated gospel of Jesus Christ and the future inheritance that he was to have in heaven, his anxieties began to fall away. And he began to realize that he should be worshiping God. And he started to see how the gospel had legitimately had the power to redeem the broken parts of his past, not only eternally before a holy God, and praise the Lord for that, but even here on earth in the context of a marriage. He would say that he began to understand how we stand sinful and diseased before a holy God. And yet, he treats us as though we, were, we are perfectly pure and perfectly righteous. And so maybe you are anxious because you have misplaced your worship. Okay, the second question, perhaps you are anxious because your problems have become bigger than God. Like, you guys know the people who are, are just a little bit over the top, fearful of losing loved ones, for example. The people who kind of always make you text them when they arrive somewhere or don't want to go anywhere when it snows or just prefer really not to travel ever. We all do this sometimes, and I am certainly this person on occasion. 
But does this anxiety come because we love our spouse or our kids or our parents or our siblings more than God? Maybe. But what is the problem with this anxiety? It is assuming that if the worst case scenario does happen, that God does not have the ability to bring us through it. Like the problem is bigger than God. He does not have the ability to overcome it. And I don't have the ability to ever be happy again if this happens. And is this true? Absolutely not. There is no destruction that God cannot bring beauty into. We know because of Romans 8:28 that God works all things together for good for those who love him. That is a promise, salt company. We're to lean into that. The Lord is always at work and nothing happens by accident. Even your biggest fears. And finally, the third question is this. Perhaps you have an anxiety disorder and you should seek medical attention. Anxiety disorders are much more common than you think. They are very real. And they completely complicate the process of working through and moving past anxieties. And so I want to be careful here not to jump down everyone's throat and be like, you're in sin. Don't be anxious. You're not trusting God enough. Just have more faith. Because some people simply can't get a grip on their anxiety. And those people often take medicine and go to counseling. And so I want to be clear about this. It is not a sin to take medication for anxiety. Because the truth is, the medication doesn't take your anxieties away. It just helps them to become more manageable. And so wherever you are at on the scale of anxiety, maybe you're the most chill person in the world and you will have one anxious episode in your whole life. Or maybe you have clinically diagnosed generalized anxiety disorder. Wherever you're at, we can all agree that anxiety is bad. It's not good. It's not helpful. And so now that we've established why it's bad and that it is bad, let's keep reading in verse 6. So don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. How beautiful and unbelievably simple. Ask God for what you want and thank him for what you have, both materially and spiritually. This is a massive takeaway from this passage, guys. Instead of being anxious, we're to ask God for what we want and thank him for what we have. I want to repeat that because I want you to really, really cue into this, guys. Instead of being anxious, we are to ask God for what we want and thank him for what we have. Okay, now some of you might say, well, shouldn't we only approach God for stuff we need? And maybe some of you wouldn't say that, but actually maybe that's what you're doing with, with your prayer life. Maybe that's what your prayer life is. You're like, I'm not going to ask God about it unless I need it. But you're forgetting that prayer is much more about a relationship with God than it is about figuring out the right things to ask for. How arrogant is it to think that we could earn God's favor and increases, increase our chances of getting what we want if we just pray certain things. Guys, just talk to God. All you have to do is tell him what you want. Just tell him what you think you need. Maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, but the point is not about 
asking for the correct thing and unlocking some magical prayer favor from God. It is about the relationship. Prayer is about a relationship with the God of the universe. Kids talk to their parents all the time about what they want and what they need, and they don't ever feel bad about it. Because a kid doesn't have any category for thinking about doing something or getting something outside of their parents. It never crosses their mind. All they do is say, Mom, can I have this? Dad, can I have that? And so it should be with us. And do you know what you get when you ask things of God? Let's look at verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace. Peace is given as the incentive away from anxiety and towards prayer. It seems to say almost, if you're anxious, then pray and you'll receive peace. So what is so good about peace? Like, why can't it just say, and the Lord your God will give you all the desires of your heart in Christ Jesus? Because, you know, if I would just get what I want, then all of my anxieties would go away. This is what's so great about peace. It's a win-win for the gospel. It's a win-win for the gospel. Because when you are at peace, God receives so much glory because what you are doing is you are declaring him worthy of entrusting your life to him. And when you are at peace, you are most effective for the gospel of Christ. Others will notice as the chaos of life swirls around you and you are standing firm, like a tree planted beside a stream. And what an incredible way to display the gospel. And as you go about your life, it is much easier for the Lord to work through you when you are peacefully submitting and following his lead as opposed to anxiously fighting him for control. Salt Company, give up your control to God. Peace is what you are after. You want peace, not stuff. And this whole peace that surpasses understanding thing, you know why it passes your understanding? Because when you think you want something, a lot of times we can't imagine being happy unless we get this one thing, unless this one thing happens. Like our happiness is contingent on this. And we can't picture any way that we could be good without it. But God's peace passes understanding because he's always bringing us to new levels of contentment as we live with him. God knows what's best for us, and it doesn't always involve him answering our prayers, but it does always involve bringing us to peace. God answers us, not by giving us what we want, but by giving us peace, and it is absolutely better that way. You know, when I first, I first got this text to preach, and I was super excited because I thought it would be a really easy text to preach. But the more I read it, I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna talk for 30 minutes about this because it's, it's all just, it's here. It's so straightforward. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Salt Company, don't worry. Pray instead. 
and you will have peace. It is beautifully simple. Just simply have a relationship with God, your Father. It is all about the relationship. Okay, let's move to our final two verses. Finally, brothers and sisters, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. So we've got a big long list of stuff that we're supposed to do. And what is it all? It's dwelling. We are to dwell on these things, things that are true, things that are honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, praiseworthy. Here's another way to say this. Not what you're being anxious about. Not your anxieties. Take your minds off your anxieties. Because when you're anxious, you are just dwelling on thoughts that lead to more anxiety, that lead to more thoughts, that lead to more anxiety. And what Paul is saying, when you're anxious, pray to God, entrust your circumstances to him, and quit thinking about what is making you anxious. Instead, think about what's true. Think gospel-related things. Think God-related things, Bible-related things, others-related things. Really, in a nutshell, stop thinking about yourself. There is so much freedom in just not thinking about yourself. And I know this is so much easier said than done. So much easier. But we have to try our absolute best. And like I mentioned earlier, some of you may have legitimate anxiety disorders that make this process next to impossible. And if that's you, first of all, you have to talk to someone about it. You have to talk to a connection group leader, a D group leader, friend, come up and talk to me, somebody. But you have to be in community with these things. The worst thing that you can do is just seclude yourself and try and overcome it on your own. Bring it to someone else. Allow them the opportunity to walk with you, to grow with you, to seek God with you. And secondly, we have to remember that we must play the long game with our anxieties. They're not going to be gone in a five-minute prayer. This is a life of walking with God that we're talking about, and you may not experience instant peace, but you can be certain that if you walk with God for 20 years, in 20 years, you're gonna be a far less anxious person. And I don't know about you guys, but that is enough for me to continue to put one foot in front of the other. Even with something so complex as anxiety, it's like an iceberg, you know, on the top you have the, the, the small portion, that's the symptom, like anxiety, and then underneath you have all this stuff that you don't see and you have discouragement, lies, half-truths, loneliness, grief, sadness, faithlessness, Listen, as someone who's battled crippling anxiety on numerous occasions, here's all I can say to you. Don't give up. Don't stop fighting the good fight. And don't settle for anything less than peace. You truly have hope. We serve a God who truly is powerful to bring you through the anxieties. But I want to be clear about this. He wants to walk through them 
with you. He wants to walk with you through them. And what Paul is saying in this passage is instead of dwelling on your anxieties, pray about them with gratitude and then fix your mind on what is true and what is good. And then we're left with this incredible promise. The God of peace will be with you. Salt Company, this passage is about walking with God. And so I'm urging you tonight to start walking closer with God. Pray every morning. Pray every afternoon and every evening. Speak with God as though he's in the room with you because he is. And speak with God as though he has the power to change your circumstances because he does. Don't make this passage more difficult than it really is. Ask God for what you want. Thank him for what you have and fix your mind on what is true. That is what it looks like to walk with God. So one final caveat I have is this. Salt Company, we have to remember that God is not a genie and that the Bible is not a self-help book. Though God does love to give us what we ask for, he's not a genie that exists to grant your every wish. Okay, he's not like Santa Claus where he gives you what you want if you're good or like an ATM that gives you what you've earned if you press the right buttons. God does not exist to help you achieve all of your dreams and all of your desires. You exist to help God achieve his. And your life will be so peaceful if you live that way. And you will have so much anxiety if you spend your life fighting him for control. And though the Bible does prescribe a remedy to anxiety through prayer and thankfulness and fixing your mind on what's true, we don't solely read the Bible for action steps to a better life. We approach the Bible to know God. And the fruit of that results in benefits from your life. Not the other way around. Enjoying God is not the fruit of doing good things. Doing good things comes from simply knowing God. So how can you apply this sermon? How can you apply this text most effectively? Like when you fall asleep tonight, in the, you know, when you wake up in the morning, here, here, here it is. Enjoy your life with Christ. Salt Company, go and enjoy Jesus Christ. Quit trying to do A, B, and C in order to get X, Y, and Z. Christianity is not a formula. You've heard this probably so many times before. Christianity is about a relationship. This text is incredibly helpful in giving us guidelines to follow in order to cultivate a healthy relationship with God. But remember, if all you take away from this message is, okay, I'm gonna go home and all I need to do is pray and fix my mind on what's good and then I won't be anxious anymore, you have completely missed the point. The point is the person and you know who the person is. We preach his name every single week It's Jesus, the perfect son of God, more humble than you have the capacity to understand and yet more kingly than you might ever be able to know for all of eternity. That man desires to walk with you daily. Old Christians, new Christians, Maybe some of you in the congregation right now aren't even Christians, 
But the same invitation is on the table for everyone tonight. Jesus is inviting you away from anxiety and towards peace. And the way that he does it is by beckoning you towards himself. Let's go to him together. Father, in this moment, we present our request to you. We give our desires to you, Lord. No matter how trivial, no matter how urgent, we take comfort knowing that you are listening, Lord. We thank you for that. We praise you for it, Lord. We praise you for simply listening to us because you are so much greater than us. And yet you have come down to know us, to love us, to wash us. So guard us with your peace, Jesus. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for the things that we have, and Father, help us to understand more of the gifts that you have given us. We have so much in our life to be thankful for. And our problem is that we fail to see it so often. And so Jesus, give us eyes that look away from ourselves. And help us to continue to come running to you day after day. But let's start with this. Tomorrow morning, Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would wake up and simply give their request to you. And that the relationship would continue and continue and continue. And that love would abound. Jesus, we worship you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.